Welcome to a breath of fresh earth, taking the commitment to a clean environment to the next level. Your host, Rick Friedman, will crown the climate hero and villain of the week, along with discussing worldwide environmental issues, showcasing new products designed with the longevity of our planet in mind, and putting the spotlight on the individuals making a big impact in helping the climate and pollution crisis through social media. Now, your host, Rick Friedman. Welcome to episode 39. Our first show was in February of 2020. We've been fighting through COVID and talking about climate change ever since. A few weeks ago, I talked about fireflies in the Great Smoky Mountains. A listener from Western North Carolina named Edie was kind enough to reach out and give me a few reminders for anyone who's thinking about visiting to see the sights. First, locals call them ghost fireflies, which is a much better name than I used. And please, 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 if you go watch them swipe right and left on Firefly Tinder, stay on the trails and on the roads. Do not walk through the beds. You might stomp on our little friends before their night of romance. We don't want anyone to squash their dreams. On with the show. Today's air quality index in Pocatello, Idaho is a PM10 of an outrageous 458. That's considered hazardous and the highest level of warning on the index. The recommendations are for everyone of all ages and health to avoid all outdoor exertion. This high number is due to the boundary fire currently burning in Idaho. Officials believe lightning was responsible for starting the fire. We're fortunate to have our field reporter, Wheezy McWeeklung, on the scene. Wheezy, are you there? We haven't heard from you for a while. Can you give us any idea of what's happening in the ground? Weezy, if it's not safe, get the heck out of there. Don't, you shouldn't be outside. Go somewhere safe. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> What's the difference between PM 2.5 and PM 10? Remember that PM stands for particulate matter, and 2.5 and 10 are the size of the particulates. They're measured in micrometers. 2.5 particles are so small they can travel to your lungs and never escape, causing long-term damage to your lungs and heart. PM10 particulates usually get stuck in your upper respiratory tract. So think of PM10 as pieces of dust that you inhale and get stuck in your throat, and PM2.5 are a fraction of the size and travel into your lungs. You can check the air quality in your city by going to worldairquality.info, W-A-Q-I.info. 92% of our world is exposed to polluted air, causing an estimated 7 million premature deaths every year. And recently, the world celebrated the second International Day of Clean Air for Blue Skies. The day aims to raise awareness and facilitate actions to improve air quality. It's a global call to find new ways of doing things to reduce the amount of air pollution and ensure that everyone, everywhere, can enjoy the right to breathe clean air. It doesn't really seem like too much of a stretch, and yet so many millions of people are succumbing to air pollution. Around the world, more than 90% of people breathe in air that the World Health Organization considers potentially harmful. While the source of air pollution varies, some of it comes from vehicles, some of it from power plants, some of it from crop burning. We talked about that in a previous show, crop burning in India. The outcome is the same. Airborne contaminants are a dire threat to mankind. Seven million people are dying from stroke, heart disease, lung cancer. Many air pollutants like carbon dioxide are also greenhouse gases. Here's five cities that are taking innovative steps to clean the air. In Paris, the French capital has barred the most polluting vehicles from entering the city center. The city also expanded its network of bike lanes. The mayor of Paris, Anne Hidalgo, 
You can follow her on Instagram, too. She's aiming to transform Paris into a walkable city where needs of residents can be met within a 15-minute walk. In Seoul, Korea, they've made headlines for their state-of-the-art campaign against air pollution. 5G-enabled autonomous robots scan industrial complexes to monitor air quality, while a satellite monitoring system offers real-time air quality data to the public. City leaders have also announced plans to create the first wind path forest in Seoul, planting trees close together along rivers and roads to channel air into the city center. The forest is expected to absorb particulate matter and bathe downtown Seoul in cooling breezes. The city's already transformed an abandoned viaduct above Seoul's main railway station into an elevated arboretum. By 2030, it hopes to increase green space by 30% and make sustainable modes of transport, such as walking, biking, and public transportation, account for up to 80% of all trips. In New York City, you wouldn't think of them as being very proactive. Planners announced $1.4 billion in funding for renewable energy products, including solar plants and wind farms, which will generate power for 430,000 homes. It's the largest single commitment to renewable energy by a state in American history. Projects are expected to be in use by 2022. We'll have to keep tabs on that. The plan will reduce carbon emissions by 1.6 million metric tons. That's the equivalent of taking over 300,000 cars off the road. And if you've ever driven in New York City, it feels like there's 300,000 cars on the road. In another first for the country, a congestion charge will be introduced for drivers in the Manhattan area. There we go. Take the money. Cars passing by checkpoints in the city's midtown area will be charged 10 to 15 bucks. As well as aiming to reduce emissions by keeping cars off the road, the initiative is expected to raise $15 billion. That's going to be reinvested in the public transportation system. We'll see where that money goes. Bogota, Colombia is getting in on the action too. The city has plans to impose strict emission standards on trucks and other heavy polluting vehicles. They want to develop a fully electric metro rail system capable of transporting its 8 million residents and add an additional 60 kilometers to the existing 550-kilometer bicycle path. The mayor said they're going to take advantage of the fact that the pandemic allowed us to speed up this agenda of clean air and pursue different modes of clean and green transportation. And finally, Accra, Ghana. Where is Accra? It's the capital of Ghana on the Atlantic coast of West Africa. They became the first African city to join Breathe Life Campaign, a joint campaign by the World Health Organization, the UN Environmental Program, World Bank, and the Climate and Clean Air Coalition. That's designed to mobilize cities to act on air pollution. The city is also part of the pilot of the World Health Organization Urban Health Initiative. The Ghana Health Services and the World Health Organization are encouraging a switch from coal-based cookstoves to ones powered by gas or electricity in order to protect mothers and children from household smoke. This is a great example why I love this podcast. Why isn't the national media covering any of these stories? The news on TV covers the same darn things every 15 minutes trying to catch new viewers who are coming home from work or school or the gym. Every 15 minutes, it's breaking news. What I just told you about these five cities really is breaking news. So let's keep forcing the issue. Let's hear about more of these things that are happening around the world They're changing the world, one city at a time. It's time for the Climate Hero of the Week. Our hero today is Paul Rathnam. Rathnam's company, Mod Pools, converts single-use shipping containers into backyard pools that could be installed underground or above ground. After transforming disused shipping containers into self-contained home offices, he's giving the discarded shipping containers a new purpose and a new life to backyards. He purchases the shipping containers after goods are shipped from China to North America. Otherwise, they'd be discarded and not used again. 
Depending on the size of your backyard, mod pools can be customized to fit any backyard, no matter where you live. Mod pools are formed from single-use containers that only shipped goods like cell phones, computers, and clothes. The shipping containers can be cut down from their 20 to 40 foot lengths to fit any size or shape you want. The temperatures can be raised up to 104 degrees Fahrenheit for colder environments. Make it a giant hot tub. The mod pools are adjusted and welded about an hour east of Vancouver and Rathman's factory so that all the construction happens off-site prior to the pool's installation. An installation can be finished in a day or two. It can even be fitted with windows. How cool. Congratulations to Rathman for taking a product that had no more life cycle and turning it into something that could bring joy to a family for years and years. Now it's time for the Climate Villain of the Week. In episode 23, I spoke about the soon-to-be-extinct vaquita and their shrinking habitat. The vaquita is a bathtub-sized porpoise endemic to the Sea of Cortez in Mexico's upper gulf of California and has experienced a sharp population decline in the last two decades, mainly due to illegal gillnet fishing for the critically endangered tatuaba. In 2017, the Mexican government established a no-tolerance zone to protect the vaquita from illegal fishing and even expanded the area last September. Well, now the government of Mexico has given fishermen open access to the refuge, the only enforcement being a sliding scale of sanctions if more than 60 boats are repeatedly seen in the area. And what are the chances that that really gets reported? This action will likely lead to the extinction of the vaquita, whose numbers have already dwindled down to less than a dozen. Mexican authorities are either unwilling or unable to save the vaquita. That's really a shame. That makes me angry! Here's your social media minute. Check them out after the show. All right, today we're looking at Instagram. I have a few people for you to follow. Don't forget about at Little Sun Energy. Approximately 1.1 billion people currently live in areas of the world without electricity. Little Sun is a social business and global project addressing the need for light in a sustainable way that benefits these communities. They create local jobs, generates local profits. Their Little Sun Lamp is an attractive, high-quality, solar-powered LED alternative to the harmful, dangerous, and expensive kerosene lamps that most of the people rely on in these areas. Follow at Little Sun Energy to see over 200,000 Little Sun Lamps in action around the world. One of my favorites is at Nat Geo, the National Geographic Society. They've got pictures, just amazing pictures. Oceana, we've talked about them before. In 1999, less than half of 1% of resources spent by environmental nonprofit groups in the United States went to ocean advocacy. To combat this statistic, Oceana was formed to focus solely on oceans, dedicated to achieving measurable change by conducting specific, science-based campaigns with fixed deadlines and articulated goals. Since they started, they've achieved more than 100 legal victories and protected more than 1 million square miles of ocean. Loss of habitat, pollution, and climate change threaten millions of species. Who is on the chopping block today? They're scaly and have forked tongues. Yes, I'm talking about Komodo dragons, and they're the largest lizards that are still walking around our planet. But their survival is in jeopardy. Why, of course, climate change. Rising global temperatures and higher sea levels will reduce the Komodo dragon's habitat by at least 30% over the next 45 years. According to the International Union for Conservation of Nature's Red List, an assessment of the health of tens of thousands of species across the globe, Komodo dragons have gone from vulnerable to endangered. Komodo dragons are native to Indonesia and only live in Komodo National Park, a UNESCO World Heritage Site, as well as the nearby island of Flores. 
If you've listened to this podcast more than a few times, you know I can't help turn something deadly serious into something a little less ominous. In the spirit of that, let's talk about Komodo dragons in movies. And if they're wiped out, we'll have to recreate the magic of Ray Harryhausen to include Komodos in the future. You don't know who Ray Harryhausen is? Ray helped elevate stop-motion animation to an art, and his creatures were used in dozens of movies, using stop-motion animation to create some of the greatest creatures in the movies from the 40s through the 70s. If you've seen Jason and the Argonauts, I'm sure you've seen the skeleton fight, which he said was one of the toughest things he ever had to do. And whenever I'm scanning the TV for something to watch and that movie pops on, I flash back to being a little kid and watching that movie for the first time, and I'm usually stuck watching at least 30 minutes of it. Well, let's talk about some other movies with Komodo dragons in it, or equally impressive giant lizards. Journey to the Center of the Earth came out in 1959. Explorers hiking down to the center of the Earth encounter giant monster lizards that try to eat them. Remember Raquel Welch in a bikini? I was too young to appreciate that in 1966, but one million years BC, Caveman is chased by a gigantic lizard. It was actually a live actor playing an iguana, but the tongue was animated by the before-mentioned Harryhausen. 1955, Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. Costello meets a gigantic monster lizard inside the mummy's tomb. You know, I never really thought they were that funny. Komodo came out in 1999. In 2004 was Curse of the Komodo. 2005 was Komodo vs. Cobra, where scientists accidentally create a gigantic monster Komodo dragon and a monster cobra that battle it out. And perhaps a better example of Komodo dragons is the movie from 2012's James Bond Skyfall, a casino in Macau has a pit below the gambling floor full of hungry Komodo dragons. Let's leave this segment with some good news. Of the seven most commercially fished tuna species, four of them, including albacore and bluefin tunas, showed signs of recovery in the latest assessment. According to the IUNC, the improvement among these species was the result of successful efforts to combat illegal fishing and enforce more sustainable fishing quotas. See, we're, we're making it happen. Lagos, Nigeria is the most populous city in Africa. It's also one of its most vulnerable to sea level rise and floods. 24 million people live there. The streets are often flooded in part due to a screwed up disposal of the six to 10,000 tons of rubbish every day. After a downpour, the rubbish piles up in open gutters and makes moving around the city very difficult. The climate in Lagos is expected to see less rainfall overall in the future, partially due to climate change. The intensity of the rain is expected to increase, bringing with it greater risk of flooding. Meanwhile, the low-lying city is also particularly vulnerable to water from rising seas. So how are they adapting? Much of the Makoko neighborhood is built on stilts above the waterline. Makoko, known as the Venice of Africa, is a labyrinth slum built on stilts and navigated by a canoe. Somehow, if you call it a slum, I don't think it could be fairly compared to Venice. Maybe I'll go there someday and I'll see for myself. The slum has little access to electricity or clean sanitation but it has been home to innovations like the Makoko Floating School, a structure resting on recycled empty plastic barrels for buoyancy. The school's pyramid shape helped lower its center of gravity and increase its stability, while being an ideal roof shape for shedding heavy rain. More recently, a version of the design is constructed in the city of Mandelo on the island of Sa Vicente, Cape Verde. It's a floating music hub made from timber and consists of three floating vessels. One has a multi-purpose live performance hall, another has a state-of-the-art recording studio, and there's a place where you can go get a cool drink. I guess if you can't stop the water from rising, learn to live with it. 
Another thing that's happening in Lagos is water transportation is a growing business. In 2019, Uber set sail. Oh, I get it, set sail, with the pilot run of its Uber boat service. The goal was to ease the city's infamous road congestion. One prominent defense against rising waters is the Great Wall of Lagos, a barrio made of 100,000 concrete blocks weighing five tons each. The 60-foot-high sea defense protects a stretch of shoreline by Lagos's Eco-Atlantic, a development being built on reclaimed land and that will be eight and a half kilometers long when it's completed. What could go wrong, guys? The wall is intended to protect the new development from the unforgiving long swell waves that originate in storms in the southern Atlantic Ocean. I can totally see the disaster movie made in Lagos in about 15 years. Other structures to protect the sea include constructing 18 groins on the shores of the eco-Atlantic. I never heard of that word before. Probably should have. Sorry. But I looked it up and I learned a groin is a structure built to trap sand and prevent it from washing into the ocean. The ones installed at Eco-Atlantic are each spaced 1,300 feet apart and a span of four and a half miles. Further groins have been proposed to cover up 37 miles of the state's coastline, with officials estimating it's going to cost about a billion dollars. Learning to live on the sea and its waterways, Africa's largest city is using its ingenuity to stay afloat. In recent news about oil spills, we turn our attention to a spill in the Gulf of Mexico that caused a 14-mile-long spill. Officials discovered the spill after Hurricane Ida ravaged the area. The spill left a 4-mile black sheen and a 10-mile rainbow sheen located in federal waters off Port Orchon, Louisiana. The crude is believed to be coming from a pipeline owned by Houston-based oil and gas exploration company called Talos Energy. That's so weird. I just watched Captain Marvel. Don't you love coincidences like that? Talos Energy said it's leading a response to the spill, which it said was coming from an unknown source in an area where it ceased production in 2017. The company says their assets are not the source of the spill. I suppose they're going to try to blame Joe Biden. Multiple releases of crude have been reported in the Gulf of Mexico since the hurricane. Divers at the site have identified the source as a one-foot diameter pipeline displaced from a trench on the ocean floor, and it was busted open. With the source of the oil unclear, Talos hired Clean Gulf Associates to respond to the spill. Clean Gulf, never heard of them, the nonprofit oil spill response cooperative that works with the energy exploration and production industry. They've had two 95-foot vessels at the scene of the spill attempting to contain and recover crude from the water. Images from a National Atmospheric and Ocean Survey showed extensive flooding and what appeared to be petroleum in the water at the sprawling Phillips 66 Alliance Refinery located along the Mississippi River south of New Orleans. All oil carries a chemical signature, or fingerprint. Scientists can use this signature to determine the source of the oil and see if it came from a natural seep or a man-made accident. The rain in Spain stays mainly on the plain. Those are the famous lyrics from a song in My Fair Lady, released in 1956. Before I was born, thank you very much. Where does the rain in Greenland stay? Well, keep listening. Need more proof of climate change? Probably not if you're listening to this podcast, but in case you're on the fence, you should know that rain fell at the summit of Greenland's ice sheet for the first time in recorded history. The average temperatures are normally well below freezing at the summit, which is at a height of 10,551 feet above sea level. The precipitation, which occurred during an exceptionally warm three days, saw temperatures rising 18 degrees higher than average. 
Researchers recorded rainfall on August 14th and estimated that about 7 billion tons of water fell across the sheet. This marks the third time in recorded history that temperatures in Greenland have gone above the freezing point. The region also saw a large-scale melting episode in July, making scientists worried about the effects of climate change. You know, I never really understood why Greenland has no green and Iceland has trees. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Can't we just declare Greenland is not Greenland anymore? Of course, if we wait around a few hundred years, Greenland will be green. A scientist at the National Snow and Ice Data Center at the University of Colorado called the event unprecedented, not changing the name, the rain. In May this year, scientists had stated that a large portion of Greenland's ice sheet was nearing a significant tipping point, after which accelerated melting of the ice would be a given, even if we stopped global warming. Ugh, I hate that phrase, tipping point. The greatest threat to our planet is the belief that someone else is going to save it. In just about every city, new stores are popping up, like the refillery in Traverse City, Michigan. The business focuses on refillable products and producing low-to-zero waste. It's your one-stop shop to refill on products like shampoos, lotions, soaps, and more. You can come in with your own container, or you can purchase one from the store. An employee fills it up with whatever you like. From personal care to household cleaning products, the refillery and other stores like it have many clean options that will make you feel better about what you're putting on your body and using in your home. And when you're finished with the product, take it back to the store and they'll refill it for you so there's less plastic being used. The refillery is more than just a refill station. It also has many sustainable products like reusable storage bags, straws, stainless steel containers, handmade soaps, beeswax candles, eco-friendly beauty products, lots of goodies for your kitchen, laundry, bath and body, hair care, oral care, babies, pets, and much more. Is there a store like this in your area? Would you support it? You want to open one? Ladies and gentlemen, let's raise a glass to our birthday boy. Sayukuro Manabe was born on September 21, 1931. He's a meteorologist and climatologist who pioneered the use of computers to simulate global climate change and natural climate variations. Suki received a Ph.D. from the University of Tokyo in 1958, came to the United States to work at the General Circulation Research Section of the U.S. Weather Bureau. He worked at the Frontier Research System for Global Change in Japan, serving as their Director of Global Warming Research Division. In 2002, he came back to the United States as a visiting research collaborator at the Program of Atmospheric and Oceanic Science, Princeton University. He currently serves as a senior meteorologist at the university. And now, my favorite part of the birthday celebrations. All right, let's check out a few of Suki's awards he's collected over the years. Manabe is a member of the United States National Academy of Sciences and a foreign member of the Japan Academy, Academia Europea, and the Royal Society of Canada. In 1992, Suki was the first recipient of the Blue Planet Prize of the Asahi Glass Foundation. In 1997, he was awarded the Volvo and Meyer Medal Prize. In 2015, he was awarded the Benjamin Franklin Medal of Franklin Institute. Manabe has also been honored with the American Meteorological Society Carl Gustav Rossby's Research Medal. Manabe's work in the development of the first global climate models has been selected as one of the top 10 breakthroughs to have occurred in NOAA's first 200 years. He's the co-winner with climatologist James Hansen, a birthday and famous guy on this show, at the BBVA Foundation Frontiers of Knowledge Award in the Climate Change category 
in the ninth edition, which was in 2016. They predicted how much Earth's temperature would rise due to increasing atmospheric carbon dioxide. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks to the crew for helping bring the show to the air. Thanks to all of you for listening. I picked up listeners from Greece and Nigeria, bringing the total number of listeners to 73 different countries. Thank you very much. I'm humbled that you've chosen to spend a few minutes of your busy life with me. Until next time, good night, Galileo. Thanks for listening to A Breath of Fresh Earth with your host, Rick Friedman. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you're the first to hear new episodes. If you want to nominate someone for Climate Hero of the Week, send it to Rick at the link below. This has been a breath of fresh earth. Thanks for listening.